Okay, so welcome to our second Sunday session. Now that you've all completely understood right view. Um, <laughs> no, it's an ongoing process, but we are going to launch our month on wise intention starting today. And I thought um, we would start again with the... Um, going around and each saying our names, not because I'll necessarily exactly remember, but just so that we get everyone's voice and maybe you'll think of, maybe you'll remember one more name than you remembered last time as we go around. <laughs> so why don't we start over here this time? And Betsy? We'll just go across the front. Shane. Abby. Donna. Justin. Andy. Chris. John. Kim. Kevin. Holly. Heather, Andreas, Laura, Jace, Lisa, Andrea, Sarah, Alicia. Okay, great. Jim's one of the mentors, by the way. Okay, so the um, the two path factors that are now under consideration: wise view and wise intention are both part of the wisdom section of the path, if you divide the path into three different sections. So um, these first two are considered to be part of wisdom. They're related to how we orient to our experience and then how we um, move forward with it, essentially, you know, how we intend to, uh, to relate to it in the moment. And then... The middle part of the path, speech, action, and livelihood, is the um, ethical conduct section of the path. And then the last three factors of effort, mindfulness, and concentration are the mental development section of the path. Just um, reviewing our three-part overview. So we're still on the wisdom section. If you don't feel especially wise yet, um, don't worry. It's, um, it's understood, another part of the path is that it's understood to be iterative in a sense. I was making a joke with that first step where I said, now that you've completely understood wise view, because of course we're going we're gonna to keep coming around. We're going to have many chances at all of these factors, and they don't really develop sequentially. Um, although the order is not arbitrary that they're given in. Yeah, so we're just going to move on and... Um, the idea is that, with starting with wisdom, is that we need we're we're making our mind the primary uh, factor in our spiritual development, and so we start with uh, something that's related to our mind, our heart, how it is that we're understanding our life. Uh, remember that wise view can also be called wise understanding, and so we we start where we are, and we're encouraged to look in terms of these two different views, and then from there we have to actually live. Otherwise, we won't know how our practice is unfolding. So the next set of steps uh, are largely about actions that we take, or today we'll talk about the mental stance before we take an action. So we have some sense of that, and then we're going to actually do things, and then we'll develop the mind further with the samadhi sections of the path, and that enables us to have a wiser view of our lives. So that's kind of how the process works. Okay, so why don't we go ahead and get started with a sit. So please find a posture that's comfortable and upright. This will help us settle in a bit. <coughs> So bringing your attention inward, feeling your body sitting in the chair or on the cushion. Maybe taking a couple of long, slow, deep breaths just to really fill the lungs and then letting the body relax on the exhale while still maintaining the uprightness.
And letting the breath just return to normal. Perhaps taking a few minutes to go through the body and just soften a bit. So we'll soften the face, the eyes, the forehead, around the mouth and jaw. Just letting the expression on the face be soft. can even imagine relaxing the thinking muscle inside the brain. Just to reduce a little bit of the energy there. Softening down through the throat and the collarbones. the shoulders. Down through the arms, into the hands. Softening the chest and the heart. Just inviting some ease through the torso. Down into the belly area. Softening the soft part of the belly itself. (coughs) And also just loosening a bit the muscles of the low back and around the spine. They may still be supporting the back, but they can be soft and infused with energy as they do so. down into the hip joints and the groin muscles. The thighs. knee joints, down the calves to the ankle joints and the feet, just inviting softness or ease. It's also just useful to practice extending awareness throughout the whole body.
And just softening the mental stance also. Maybe meeting experience with a sense of interest or curiosity or kindness. And aiming to keep the mind in the present moment. As you continue to sit, you may find it interesting to observe various movements of the mind. You don't have to change the main practice of being with the body or the breath. Try not to get caught up in things. But you could also observe the times when the mind is leaving the present moment because it's wanting something or because it's not wanting something. Those basic movements. Which are normal. You don't need to get rid of them. But just observe.
first of all, are there any questions that are lingering from the uh, wise view topic? There may not be, but I just thought I'd create some space for that. <laughs> yeah. I can't hear you very well. Okay, I, I'm continuing to try to speak up. Also, you may not have heard uh, the announcement I made at the very beginning, which is there's something wrong with the speakers. And so um, I have this on because the hearing devices, it will actually come right through. So if it's really an issue, anybody can get one of those little things to put in your ear. And it is, it is amplifying into that. But thank you, I will try to continue to speak up. Okay, great. So wise view helps us to orient to the path by uh, attuning our attention to suffering and its cause and the possibility of ending it, right? And it also helps us to see that our actions can be pointing towards skillful or unskillful. You know, they can be pointing towards suffering or toward the end of suffering. So the question then, if we start to orient ourselves that way, we naturally begin to wonder, how could I shape my life in some way such that it moves toward greater skillfulness and less suffering, right? So this becomes, this is sort of a natural question that arises we immediately will start to see our intentions. Um, at least even in the, the mentor meetings that I had uh, with my mentees, people talked about their intentions already. So there's a sense that as soon as you start viewing things in a certain way, it, it actually makes it easier to see the mind's intentions. So these are, you know, what do we mean by intentions? Um, for our purposes, here we'll say these are the motivations that shape our speech and our actions and even how we think. You know, they're the, the motivations that come forth in the mind that are going to generate actions in our life. So if we have intentions that are leading toward suffering, we'll be working at cross-purposes to our interest in ending suffering and into living well and waking up. So it's actually quite important to consider our motivations. You know, we, it's maybe nice to say, okay, I'd like to be freer and have less suffering. But if there's something in your mind that keeps pointing you towards something that leads towards suffering, we've probably all observed this already in ourselves, the habits we have that we wish we didn't, or those repeated situations that seem to keep coming up. This is because we have some part of the mind that is pointing in that direction. It's also helpful to look a little deeper than the surface level. I don't want to encourage a huge amount of analysis, abstract analysis, but um, sometimes we have multiple layers of motivations happening, and within a relatively short time, it can be helpful to, if, to open to the ones that are you know, possible to see. So, for example, suppose there's a new position that's opening up at work, and you feel like you want to apply for it and, and pursue that. So what is the intention for wanting that position? It could come from wanting to learn something new. You know, you want to expand into some new area, gain new skills. It's a caring for yourself. It could come from uh, caring for your family. This position pays more and you uh, you have a sense that that would be a greater contribution to the, the people in your life. Um, it could also come from wanting to impress people or wanting to gain more power in some sense or many other things. There's maybe several of those are operating at once when you look carefully, right? So um, Philip Moffat says, if it weren't for mixed intentions, I'd have no intentions at all. <laughs> so don't worry that you might see some intentions that are not your favorites, not the ones you think you ought to have. But we're going to instead uh, examine today the three wise intentions and the three unwise intentions that the Buddha identified, and also look a little bit at our 
how we can relate to this practice of working with our intentions because there are multiple ways to do that and we'll want to choose a way that is what? Wise and skillful, yeah? So the Buddha identified three intentions that lead to increased suffering. There's probably more than that, but he, he kind of lumped them together into the main ones. Uh, the first one he called, the translation of it is usually lust, but it's not limited to that realm. It's, you know, it's strong, sensual compulsion, essentially. And then the second one is ill will, and the third is hostility or cruelty. Interesting that those two are distinguished, but they are really different. So I, I think when we look honestly, we will have to admit that all three of these unwise intentions are present in our heart. That's sort of how it is for humans. We have, you know, we just have those. And we have adopted them not because we are bad people, but because at some point we thought that would lead to happiness in some way. For the most part, the mistakes we've made were mistakes of understanding. Um, we thought that happiness, you know, would, was about comfort and getting what we want and getting rid of the people and the things that we don't want. Um, it's natural to think that, and to some degree it's certainly, to some degree it's true, but it's not the final happiness in a sense. It's not the best kind of happiness. And we can, we can see that in our lives. First of all, many people come to the path realizing that what they've been doing hasn't quite done it for them so far in their lives, and they're looking for something a little deeper. Um, and we can also see that the effects in our mind of lust or <coughs> harmful thoughts about people or cruelty or revenge, those kinds of things actually have an immediate negative impact on us before the other person even, before they even get to the other person, right? Um, so there's a sense that having these kinds of intentions is already hurting us before it even has uh, an impact in the world. So we see that they don't really produce, you know, even when they do get out in the world, they don't really produce very good results. So the three wise intentions then, the intentions that will lead us toward greater and greater peace and happiness and lead us away from suffering, are just the opposites, which are uh, usually said as renunciation. It's the first, and then non-ill will, also sometimes said as goodwill, but the text actually says non-ill will and non-cruelty, which is also, could also be said as compassion. So it's interesting, right, that the um, the positive ones are simply negations of the negative ones. I like this because in my experience of working with intention and also with wholesome and unwholesome qualities in the mind is that it's nice to have these things that are negations of unwholesome qualities because there's a lot of space there. Non-ill will could be loving kindness. That's what often people are are told, goodwill, loving-kindness, but also the quality of patience doesn't have any ill will in it. So that could be included too. Generosity doesn't have any ill will in it. So that's part of non-ill will also. Gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> so you start getting the sense that there's a real richness to the positive qualities. As long as you don't have these ones that are going to hurt, you can have all these other wonderful things. So if you have kind of a lust for wholesome qualities, you can, you can have a lot of them. <laughs> it's okay. You can't have too many. Um, that's a little bit of a joke. But <laughs> we can see that these are set up um, just to point out that the intentions of goodwill and compassion or non-ill will and non-cruelty counter uh, the aversive tendencies of the mind, right? The tendencies toward pushing away or hating. Whereas um, renunciation, of course, counters our tendency toward lust and toward wanting and acquisition and those kinds of qualities. So the, the renunciation counters those. So we have a counter for greed and a, a counteraction for greed and aversion. Some, sometimes people ask, which is the intention that counters delusion? Um, 
that's a fair question, given that greed, hatred, and delusion are the three unwholesome roots in the mind. My understanding is that um, we're on the intention step, which is, remember, I said it's part of the two steps that are about wisdom. My understanding is that wise view counters ignorance. So that first step of the path is more about that, and the intentions, at least as they're named here, are more about the uh, greed and the hatred counting those. So I want to talk now about the second two, the uh, goodwill and the compassion, or the non-ill will and the non-cruelty. And then in the second half, we're going to look at renunciation. So first, actually, let's consider, as we begin to take on intention as a practice, we should consider our relationship to intentions. Um, Even if we've done, probably we've noticed our motivations before. Uh, If we've ever made a major decision, for example, sometimes we focus on the consequences and we say, okay, what's good about this? What would be bad about this? Which one would be better? But sometimes that decision-making process also comes down to why do I want this? Why would this be better? What are my aims here or there? So that's a a looking at intention. So probably you've done this before in some sense. But when we start looking on the path and we have these specific qualities that are we know are going toward or away from suffering, there can be um, a tendency to kind of be dismayed at how many unwholesome intentions we have. Uh, So our, our first intention is to be honest and to actually see what is motivating us and what is running in our minds and what is emerging in our thoughts. And we want to just observe that, check out what our actual motivations are, and then um, to be careful not to get caught up in our image of what we think a good Buddhist or a good spiritual person or a good person at all is supposed to be. we will see when we look honestly that we're largely driven by uh, pain and pleasure. It's really kind of humbling that the, uh, you know, when you look at an amoeba in the microscope and, you know, it's kind of moving around. And if you put a little drop of lemon juice or something, it's like, woo, and it goes the other way. Or you put a little drop of something that it likes to eat and it's like, whoosh, it goes straight there. The mind is a lot like that. <laughs> and... I mean, I'm making light of it because I encourage you to have the same kind of stance. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I really am just trying to get as many pleasures as possible and trying to avoid as many pains as possible. And it's not that the opposite is better. I mean, why would you go away from pleasure and go toward pain necessarily? That's not what's being encouraged. But it's uh, if this is our main motivation Unfortunately, it's a losing battle because it's not actually possible to have only pleasure and have no pain. It's not actually possible in this life. It's just, that's not the deal here. And so we're going to have to find some other way to be free and happy and peaceful in the world. But it helps to start with what it is that's mostly driving us. So the, and then the initial response can be to try to control this. You know, try to make sure that we only have the good intentions and the bad ones we immediately suppress or something like that. So uh, we would, of course, it's nice to aspire to always be wise and kind and compassionate and non-clinging about the way we're living. I do um, encourage that aspiration, but not clinging to that as trying to force it to be that way. Um, we will tie ourselves in knots trying to suppress the motivations that we don't think should be there. I don't think we need to act on them necessarily, but um, don't get caught in the image of the good Buddhist. Because remember that the practice is to observe what is actually happening. So we have these extremes that we tend to go to. Either we act out all of our Um, unwholesome motivations in various ways, which we don't want to do, or we would want to suppress them because we don't think they ought to be there. We're now trying to do better with our intentions. Uh, We're looking for the third way, um, the middle way in a sense, and that is mindfulness. So that is to simply be aware of what motivations are operating. And when you can, 
choose the ones that are more wholesome or choose more from the ones that are wholesome if there are several that are operating there. Just emphasize the, the other ones. That can be the best. I think the real teacher is going to be ultimately kind of our body and our sense of how it feels to do things. Um, when we have an unwholesome motivation happening, an unwholesome intention, there's actually a contraction in the, in the heart a little bit. We can feel kind of this uh, right before we do that action. Intention is what comes right before we act. And that can um, itself be a guide. And whereas when we're acting more from the wholesome motivations, there can be a sense of ease, of openness, of spaciousness, of flexibility. You know, if the situation suddenly changes, we're going to be able to meet that. Whereas we, we're not, if we're in this closed down kind of thing. So as a personal example, I've observed that when I'm in a hurry, uh, I will tend to move quickly toward what it is that I'm trying to get through. Like I see it in the grocery store. If I'm in a hurry and, you know, there's somebody else coming towards the line, there's this move in me to like get into the line before them, right? This movement in my, in my heart and my body. And it's interesting, right? Because um, there's a definite, I've just tuned in, there's a definite contraction with this. I mean, you have to somehow see that, like, make that other person into an object, and that object is going to get in line before me. <clears throat> it's no longer a person. And so there's, a, there's this closing down. And so as often as possible, we can try to see this and, you know, move instead towards something that's more open. It'll just feel like there's less suffering there when we do that. <clears throat> but, of course, in the times when we don't notice, we're not mindful enough, and we zip in front of the person, it's like, oh, you, you still got to feel the contraction, right? Even if it's a little bit late. Still educational. So don't, don't then turn around and beat yourself up and say, oh, geez, why, you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. Um, you could, of course, let them go in front of you or something if you wanted to try to change that. You can't change the action if you lunged in front of them in line. But um, there are still things that we can learn from that situation and it's all good. If it was practice, it's all good. So I think when we start to see the effects, this, this educational effect of feeling how the intention is and seeing how, that, seeing how that whole sequence of actions unfolds with the intentions behind it, there's a way in which that itself is educational, more than the figuring out and the saying, was that wholesome or unwholesome? And the, the you know, then deciding next time I'm really gonna do it this way. That's all a lot of intellectual and really just feeling that contraction, there's gonna be some inhibition against that the next time. I have great faith that we learn from that maybe 10,000 times, but uh, there is some learning going on so we can trust that. Okay, so let's look now at these intentions, the second two wise intentions of non-ill will and non-cruelty. <clears throat> we will likely find that our mind and heart contain some form of hatred, of that, that unwholesome root of hatred uh, in the form of ill will. So that would be resentment, anger, irritation, and also hostility, which are thoughts of revenge or cruelty. Um, it's worth respecting this. The root of hatred goes very deep in the human heart, actually. And, you know, we don't have to see ourselves as this, you know, horrible, terrible, hating person. And it's not like we're going to be that way for 98% of the path. And then right at the end, we get to wake up. It's a, it's a gradual process. Um, but it's, it's worth respecting that this movement of pushing away or of closing out or of not wanting or of not liking... Um, is very, very deep in the heart. And so that's, that's how it is. And then it's also the same way for other people. So we can have some sense that they are suffering from this kind of mind state also. So the best, you know, he, the Buddha gave a bunch of practices to help us soften this. He knew this was an issue for us as humans. 
So one thing to look at with these, I'll say one more thing about expressing um, these unskillful motivations through action, is that we haven't really, if we do that, we haven't really touched the root. I keep referring to this term root. So that's kind of like the, the thing way down deep in the heart, the misunderstanding way down deep in the heart that makes us think that hatred is going to be helpful to us. It's very, very deep. And even if we do something like primal scream therapy or hitting things with soft baseball bats, which are sometimes recommended for people, I have questions about that because they're feeding the root, actually. Uh, even though you're not doing any actual damage with that, um, you haven't done anything to dislodge the tendency in the mind toward hating. Um, and it's that tendency that uh, is what's generating the motivations way, way down deep before we have a chance to decide. So be careful about that. Um, we don't want the aversion to just go underground or to be expressed unwisely. So this, um, this third option of mindfulness is really helpful. And this is, of course, the seventh step of the path. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we don't really do everything sequentially. These are um, all supporting and helping each other. So mindfulness is a great tool for helping us see our motivations and also helping us to make better decisions about which ones to act on and which ones not to act on. But it can be that, and you'll certainly notice this, that there are times when our mindfulness is not quite strong enough. You know, our level of attention is here, but our level of aversion is here. And it just overwhelms our mindfulness. These are the times when we look back and say, oh, I shouldn't have made that comment or, ooh, you know, that maybe you didn't even see it for a long time. Oh, that whole meeting, I was opposing everything everyone was saying and I didn't notice that that's what my behavior was like. But then when you think about it, you realize you weren't really helping to work together with people at all. So um, the Buddha also offered other practices and that's kind of what this um, metta and karuna that we're looking at, the loving kindness and the compassion are could be called thought substitution. So if we're having thoughts that are very negative or angry or hating, we can change, we can deliberately change our thoughts to being more open, more loving, more kind, more compassionate in some way. This directly, of course, undermines the tendency toward hatred if we're seeing it, but turning the mind away from it. We're taking energy away from that root, so you are actually reducing that tendency. And at the same time, you're putting energy into the wholesome root. So it's kind of a double win, in a sense. And you're putting energy into the love or the compassion. So metta, or loving kindness or goodwill, many of us have heard of that because it's often taught. Um, we need it a lot. This is the counteraction to ill will. Right? Goodwill is the counteraction to ill will. And it means tapping into our understanding that all beings want to be happy, just as we do. And so we can wish them, we can wish them that. That's what their heart really wants. Sometimes there's a little additional nuance of understanding that if they were really happy, then, you know, they would, like us, they would be behaving better in the world and um, not, not causing so much suffering for themselves or others. But generally, we want to just wish them you know, their, their deepest wish of being happy. They may not be going about it in a skillful way. We can easily see that in others often, not necessarily in ourselves as easily. But you know, we can say, okay, just like me, though, I know that person somewhere inside wants to be happy. I don't know why they think this is going to get them there, but they do want to be happy, and I wish that they could find that way. This is a wish that we can make. It's not, uh, it's not out of our scope to make that wish for people. If we do this practice formally, um, some of you know that there's a sort of a sequence where you focus on a benefactor and on yourself and on friends and then people that you don't know very well and then maybe people that are hard to interact with. And we are careful in each case to 
to wish each of these kinds of people in our life well. And we may notice that it's not so much about the specific people. The categories are what we're focusing on because people change categories, don't they? <laughs> right? Your best friend may become your difficult person next week. Uh, and the reverse can happen too. So it's helpful to focus to, to remember that. Another form of loving-kindness practice is to radiate loving-kindness. And I know some of you have tried this is that instead of focusing on specific categories of people and kind of directing our goodwill at them, we actually just open to the feeling of goodwill right away in our heart, maybe for ourselves or a benefactor or something that's easy. And then once it's generated, we imagine it radiating like, like our heart is a lamp. And it's going to touch all the beings that are in various directions when we radiate it in each of the four directions and then above and below something like that. It can be a very peaceful abiding to just rest. And you don't worry so much about the specific people or animals or beings in that one. You're just stoking that uh, loving kindness engine, if you will. It's very good. It still, still undermines ill will in the heart. And then compassion is closely related. Uh, but that one, it just has a slightly different shift of how we're looking is that instead of wishing that beings be happy and find happiness, we wish that they not suffer, which is also what beings wish. They wish not to suffer. Remember this um, movement that we saw earlier, going for the pleasure and not going for the, you know, avoiding the pain, wanting to be happy, not wanting to be suffer, not wanting to suffer. Uh, now it happens that literal sensual pleasure and pain are not the same as suffering and not suffering. That's one of our primary confusions. But we've seen, I think, in our own experience, that this quality, and, this, and we understand that people, other people are doing the same thing. They're trying not to suffer, and they're trying to be happy. And so we can actually wish that for them. I wish that you wouldn't be suffering. You know, that's hard. I know how that is for me. So in the same way, um, we can use categories of being or radiation now, the way to do this so that it's not just intellectual or half-hearted is to make sure that we really understand our own suffering. So this wise view, the last step of seeing things in terms of the Four Noble Truths, remember the first one asks us to be in touch with suffering. Sometimes people say, why do we have to have a downer? We start with the suffering. Um, we already went through some of that last time in that you know, that's the, the gateway. If you don't see it, you can't end it. But it's also the gateway to compassion, to being able to genuinely connect with other beings who are also suffering. It's not that easy to be a human, actually. And so if we're gonna if we really want to help others, if that is something that's of interest to you, you'll need to feel your own suffering and really know, oh, this is really what it feels like to have a contracted heart or to have hatred in my heart at this moment. And then we realize, oh, anybody else who is carrying that around feels like this. <laughs> and it doesn't feel that good. And so then we wish, oh, may they also be free from suffering of whatever form. These are not simplistic practices. Uh, I've described them fairly quickly. And there's a longer description in Bhante Ji's book, uh, The Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. They're not simplistic practices. Remember I said the root of hatred goes very deep. You're touching into something that's down in there and uh, trying to turn it in another direction. It's a big ocean liner going and you have to take a while to turn it. And there's going to be resistance to that. Uh, and so this is normal. If you feel like maybe you even have resistance right at the surface. There are people who say, I don't want to do meta practice. That's so sappy. You know, it's like just, yeah, that. That can be a common response. Or you may love metta practice, um, but find that there are certain people for whom it's very difficult to do it for, for example. And this is, um, this is not like a, a failure of your ability to be kind and loving. It's actually almost good if, if you want to see it that way and that you're, you're bumping up against some of those walls that you've built in your heart. And when we try to be kind and we can't, we try to wish well and it's not natural, good. 
we, if we don't find that edge, we're not going to be able to soften it and start to extend it. And it is a process of doing that. So don't underestimate these, the power of these practices, first of all, but also the power of your resistance to these practices. Um, yeah. But the aim of these practices is to take it slow. You can't uh, bash through all those walls and be totally loving kind, loving kindness, you know, radiating that perfectly tomorrow, probably. If you can, all right. But it's, it's a process. So I would say just work in the realm that you can and kind of touch up against the edge and see how that is. And then, you know, we can relax. And we definitely don't want to be doing these practices in a way that is bringing in ill will while we're doing them. Like, I got to push harder at this. That's an ill will kind of stance. So just be gentle. Another thing we learn as we work with non-ill will and non-cruelty, those intentions, is that we, an intention in general, is that we start to see really that the mind is the key. It's the key to ending, eroding and eventually ending our suffering. Um, we have a lot of areas where we do our practice, of course, including our workplace, our relationships, um, our body, other things. But with all of those, we're relating to them through our mind and through our intentions and our motivations. You know, what is it? What is your motivation in your relationship? One more thing to check, you know, is it really loving kindness and connection or is there a little bit of power dynamic going on there? You know, it's always pointing back toward the mind. And so right here, in a sense, right here in our mind and heart and gut is where it's all starting So I find that when I am in touch with that, with really the, the primacy of the mind in how my suffering or non-suffering unfolds, is that I have a sense of wanting to protect my mind. So I just want to name that in case you also get that feeling, you know, a sense of wanting to keep my mind in a good state. It's like, wow, I'm going to live with all the karma that unfolds from my mind. I should be pretty careful with that. Um, so there can be a sense of... Um, drawing inward a little bit, wanting to sit more. It's good. Uh, and this manifests outwardly, too. One time when I was, um, when I was teaching a retreat, uh, my shawl disappeared off my cushion. <laughs> and uh, I think, yeah, so the, uh, I waited. Actually, it was when, it was when I was um, training to teach. So I was the assistant teacher, so I wasn't quite sitting up here in the teacher's seat. Uh, I think I was sitting off to the side, and then my shawl disappeared. And people, the other um, teachers told me, well, you know, we should make an announcement about that and tell people that they shouldn't have taken that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, I, um, and that I should go around and look on the cushions and see, you know, if I could see it. And I decided, well... I think I don't want to do that. I think I want um, not to put that into my mind that, uh, you know, an idea that there might have been a thief or something and I, who is that? And I thought, I just, you know, I just don't want those thoughts in my mind. So I decided not to look around for it. And then it came back. So it's fine. Somebody just didn't realize all the shawls weren't common property. So... You know, you, you might find yourself uh, wanting to, you know, shield your mind in certain ways. Another thing I find, have found myself doing is that if I'm driving and somebody is not driving well, in my opinion, um, it, it, you know, in front of me or whatever, I might have a sense of, and then later, say I have an opportunity to pass that car, um, I find that I don't, I, I refuse to look at the driver because I don't want any characterization of that person. And plus, you know, I might see qualities of the person. I might see how old they are or young they are or what race they are, anything like that. And I don't want any judgment to leak into my mind. Of course, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't deliberately do that, but you never know. The mind still has these tendencies in it. And so I just shield myself from that by not looking at that person if I've had previous ill will thoughts about them. That's a controlled situation where I can just make that choice. Obviously, you have to interact with you know, the people that you know, but 
know, so little things like that. You can make choices about protecting your mind. And as you start to work with intention, you may want to do that. Okay. So that's um, something of a glimpse of these two, second two of the wise intentions, the non-ill will and the non-cruelty, or the metta and the compassion. So as always, there's now a chance for you to talk with others. And so we'll have some um, breakout sessions. And after that, we'll have, a, we'll have a break. So you'll have a chance to go to the bathroom then if you want. But if you really need to right now, that's okay. But I would prefer, um, why don't you guys get into groups of three? And then I'll give you the question. So the first question is, think of a time when you were in conflict with another person, not your heaviest, deepest, darkest, just any, any time. Um, what are some of the intentions that were present for you at that time? And you can go below the surface on that and um, think of several intentions that were there. So just, uh, we'll let each person speak for, it'll be relatively short, maybe only a minute or so, but just try to think of some intentions that were there as you were feeling a, a sense of conflict with somebody or disagreement. And let's just take a moment to sit quietly and let that energy fade. It's interesting, isn't it, how many different things are wrapped up around conflict or aversion or ill will. Um, there are many, you may have your own special way of relating to that, that we, so you'll see some of these motivations. Okay, and then the second question will be one where you can just go around and around. Each person can contribute one thing. You may have three ideas, but just contribute one of them, and then it'll come back around to you, and it'll, you'll kind of together create a whole um, bunch of ideas together. And the question for that is, what are some simple everyday actions that can arise from goodwill and compassion so an obvious goodwill and compassion, you know, so an obvious example would be holding the door open for somebody. But I would encourage you to really think outside the box. You know, if you were feeling that you were tuned into other people wanting to be happy and not suffer, what interesting things might become possible? You can start with the basic ones and just see, uh, just keep going around and around and generate some ideas about that. We'll just see how the energy goes and ring the bell when it seems like time. So how does it feel talking about conflict compared to talking about actions that come from love and compassion? <laughs> it's a little different, right? But this also tells us something about why we don't see those parts of our minds, right? We tend to kind of not, sometimes not see those. Okay, so I didn't get to hear all the wonderful things you said, and I'm curious if anybody has anything they'd like to share in the larger group or anything that was especially wise or if you have any questions about this part. One of the things that I noticed when we were speaking of the conflict, um, and I heard it with both of the others, and then recognized it within what I was saying, had said also, was that the what came out in the conflict was the unwholesome qualities, but the underlying needs were all very wholesome. And this negativity was our human expression of trying to meet a deeper need, but in a way that really was inhibiting. Yeah. Um, and that's actually what our practice is, is to see that and to recognize that and to move in a different way. Yeah, to try to, um, yeah, you can go pretty far if you have the fundamental desire to be happy or free or peaceful, 
and just refining and refining and refining how you accomplish that is walking a spiritual path in a sense. What I noticed was that, you know, there was the need for connection. There was the need for um, wanting good for somebody else. There was, you know, but the way that we expressed it was not reflecting that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we see that um, there's a certain alignment in the Dharma that comes about, right? Is that if you have something that is some kind of a wholesome wish at some level, um, but the way you're doing it is at cross-purposes to that, it creates conflict, doesn't it? It creates it internally and it creates it externally. So a lot of what we're doing, this is actually a fairly deep point, is that there's a, a process of alignment between our heart and how things actually are and how things actually operate in the universe. Uh, this conflict comes out of trying to get things in a way that it's, as, it's like trying to go against gravity or against the electromagnetic force. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. And so we, but we don't understand that as clearly. It's a lot more complicated in terms of the heart and the mind when there's a human mind involved. So a lot of what we're doing is aligning. Yeah, absolutely. And also that it, it, I mean, just to follow up on what Professor said, that it happens when the lack of alignment tends to happen when you feel hurt, or you feel frustrated somehow by that your basic intention is not somehow, you know, foiled, that your basic, some desire is not being met, or somehow something has felt somehow. Mm -hmm. This, this then hurt. will eventually point us back toward view and how it is that we're seeing the world in order to because conflicts are always generated internally, actually. Um, yeah. So we're aligning what's in our hearts, um, in our intentions with our actions. That's one kind of alignment. It happens at many levels. So yeah, we can align um, our actions with our intentions. Um, they tend to go together, but we can align the, the wholesomeness. You know, we can align the wholesomeness of our deeper wishes in our heart with the actual actions that we manifest. That's a good way to do it. And also just aligning our view and our way of seeing and our way of acting with the laws of how things actually operate in terms of what creates suffering and what moves away from suffering. Yeah. What are your thoughts about when intentions and actions don't align? Um, that comes about when we are under the influence of a, a habitual pattern that we didn't, that we're not seeing. So uh, I know I I don't mean that to sound abstract, but you know, for example, some people have a pattern where they automatically believe that other people are probably against them. This is a mental stance that we might bring into situations. And so then we might have a very good intention of wanting to ask this person for help about something, but our secret stance of you're probably against me means I'm not going to trust what you say to me anyway, and I probably won't receive it, and I may not hear it completely. And then suddenly I'm thinking, what's, I wanted to ask for your help, but somehow I'm, I'm not getting that. That's my perception. But I've got this stance you know, that I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing the habit of my mind to always suspect that other people are not uh, not going to help me. And so, you know, I'm trying to make it concrete. But when we think we have a certain motivation and then the result isn't like that, there's there's these other factors that we're not seeing, most of them habitual kind of, you know, blind habit being played out. Yeah. At least that's my experience of how, when I've examined that in my own situations. Yeah. It feels like it goes back also to what you were saying earlier about how deeply, you know, deeply rooted the, all of these are. They are human yeah. tendency and our conditioning into that. Yeah, and so we, kind of we work where we can. Yeah, the layers. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's all good work. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's have a little break and come back um, in, uh, I'll ring the bell in about six minutes at five of three, and then we'll settle in. Yeah.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.